Hello. Michelle Baker-Jones is an integrative psychotherapeutic counsellor based in London. She's been a member of the Imperial College's psychedelic research team since 2015 and one of the leading figures in the recent trials to understand whether or not psilocybin, i.e. magic mushrooms, can be used to treat depression. Now, my connection to Michelle is actually a musical one, which you'll find out when you listen to this conversation. And um, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but I was by the number of uh, coincidences and synchronicity that uh, evolved out of this amazing conversation that I've had with her and in her study of connectedness, uh, including actually an instrument that can measure our connectedness. So please uh, join me uh, in this very, very super connected conversation. actually I, I get to be at home today rather than work which is um brilliant so oh. I would I would be screening someone but we don't have any screenings today so uh, I'm quite relieved to be at home it means I can oh. go out myself. <laughs> are you happy to just go straight into it or did you want to ask anything first um no yeah just go in and see where yeah. we go great all right all right well look first of all it's just great to to meet you sort of in person. <laughs> Still virtual. <laughs> kind, kind of. I knew I, I knew that when um when I sent out those, you know, invitations to join that video, um, mm. I was really wondering who was gonna do the, the show record by Peter Gabriel. Uh because ah. it, it's always <laughs> anybody that I've ever met that loves that record, they always know something about Carl Jung. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and, I, and I remember saying to Kate when 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 you sent the video in, I said, "Oh look, look, look! Someone's already said." She said, "Oh yeah, that's that's." I think she called you Midge, actually. That's right. Yes, I am known by many as Midge too. And, it, and it, but as soon as she said that you were a counselor, I thought, "Yeah, counselor. That's yeah, Peter Gabriel." So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but that is. Well, Games Without Frontiers was um, a classic song of my youth. So I really love that song. So mm. I've always, Peter Gabriel's always been there. I was a bit of a Genesis fan as well. So oh, Peter good. Gabriel has always kind of been there in the periphery for me. So, yeah. Mm. And we had the album. So I was just like, yeah, I'm Perfect. quite happy, happy to go along with Peter Gabriel. <laughs> uh, well, look, I, thanks so much for for coming to chat, which is a kind, it's kind of... Um, what I'm doing, I mean, the, the one connecting factor between everybody that I have conversations with on this is that they've mostly all um, have learned to do something so expertly well that they normally have letters after their name or something, unlike me, yeah. who never went to university. <laughs> so it's yeah. it's me trying to fill in the, the missing bits of, of um, things that I'm fascinating, fascinated with, you know. Um, and I know that a lot of your work is connected to psychedelia and that yeah psychedelics for sure yeah, yeah. And, and consciousness exploration but i just wanted to pick up on one thing michelle that was on the um 
and the the the, the sort of literature that you sent me mm. and it said there was a connectedness care program ah yes um oh, with connectedness and thought oh wonder yes. what um well this is something that's in a pilot phase that has that is related to the synthesis institute um and so Ros Watts and myself who've worked who work who basically have worked on the psilocybin trials together in tandem um and then we created psychedelic integration groups because we recognize that um the trials in and of themselves aren't sufficient to you know in terms of helping people through their depression um so it's kind of in its pilot phase of thinking about what what will be needed to really help people deal with their mental health issues and um ros did um qualitative analysis um after the first psilodep trial and we developed a therapy model which is um called the ace therapy model and it's mm -hmm. acceptance which is really about acceptance of painful feelings mm -hmm. which leads to greater connection which is connection to self connection to others, connection to the universe. And then E is for embodiment. So how do you embody that or how do you integrate that into your life? Mm. So um, I think one of the great revelations was that connectedness is very much the antidote or can be one of the main antidotes to depression, connectedness, community. Um, so Roz is tinkering with um, what a connectedness program might be like as a container for a psychedelic experience and um so it's kind of following her work into connectedness being really key um to help people um deal with depression or or any mental health issues really you know i mean it's a, soci it's a societal thing really i mean johan hari's book on lost connections I, I think really points to that too I just um, heard that title for the first time. That's going to be on my list now. Lost Connections. Is that what is that what it's called? Yeah, a book by Johan Hari, which is all about depression. Um, mm. So consequently, and as a result of COVID, interestingly, myself and Roz, um, because the trial was kind of um, ended sort of a bit dramatically, we couldn't finish with the final participants. Some of them didn't have their second um, dosing. We set up like a weekly um, group. Yeah. Um, it wasn't really kind of part of the trial. And in this group, we could just see everyone supporting everyone and, and a bit like that liminal space of a psychedelic integration group. Um, it, you know, if we step back as experts and just let the people support each other, you can kind of see that healing naturally. And because that kind of happened, happened as a result of COVID, a bit of an accident, it, I think it was sort of the spark that kind of helped Ros to see well what can we do in groups you know in terms of yeah. creating community bringing people together letting people heal themselves through that connection so yeah so I mean COVID um, yeah I think perhaps created the perfect storm for 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 the birthing of, of seeing how the group and the psychedelic experience and connection all all together might might you know provide a, a good container Oddly, isn't it? It, it, uh, it <laughs> yeah. COVID has been a, a great uh, catalyst for for many mm -hmm. things in, in in positive ways as well. Just for anybody that might be listening or watching, because this is both, isn't it? Um, video yeah. and podcast. Um, uh, I know 
when you talk about the psychedelic experience and the work that you do as a counsellor, I kind of, I, I sort of understand that. Um, Kate explained it to me. I didn't a year and a half ago. I didn't know anything about breaking convention. Or oh, okay. That, uh, which I guess, you know, a culture and community that explores that. Um, just so anybody uh, who doesn't know, uh, mm. doesn't just assume um that it's um, some kind of fancy way of taking <laughs> psychedelics. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to just give a kind of pot yeah. of what, what, the, what that part of your work is about? Yeah. So, um, so the two trials that I've worked on were exploring psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms, mm. as a treatment for depression. Um, and the way it works is very much, um, you know, thorough screening. Participants come onto the trial and the experience, I suppose, is in a therapeutic container. Um, and for me, that's really important. It feels like the therapy is catalyzed through the psychedelic experience. We know set and setting are really crucial for a psychedelic experience. So the set and setting, even though it's in a research um, institution, a CRF, um, we have you know, all the bohemia of a spa with salt lamps and subdued lighting, um and lots of nature pictures on the wall so it, it's very it's very much more of a spa but within a medical setting which is very unusual and then um so we get to know our participants you know we get to know their psychological history a lot of you know so this rapport this kind of therapeutic rapport has to be established pretty quickly and then on the day of the dosing uh, so there's a lot of preparation which involves um kind of psycho preparation about what to expect um creating trust between us and the participant um, um and a lot of uh, i suppose it would sort of encouragement or priming to some degree to go towards one's suffering and pain and, and not you know basically saying you're coming here to try and get to the roots of your depression rather than looking at the symptoms. So is it some trauma work as well? Yeah, to some degree, people who've been suffering with depression for a very long time have probably been suppressing and avoiding and not really feeling. Mm. So um, what we're encouraging them to do is to move towards their feeling, go towards anything that might be challenging, but knowing that we're there as a supportive container, holding their hands quite literally if they need that, um, so, you know, we, we kind of foster an attitude of bravery and curiosity within our participants and an openness to explore whatever arises. It sounds wonderful. And, and is that a sort of, uh, is it, I wouldn't call it a service, but is it something that, um, anybody can sort of get involved? Well, not, well, at the moment, just, just yeah. Yeah, it's just clinical trials because we have, because of the legal status of psychedelics, mm. we have to demonstrate their therapeutic potential. And then once that happens, then they can potentially be legalized because we, we've been through all this before in the 60s. And uh, the legal guillotine came down because psychedelics were considered dangerous and having mm. no therapeutic potential, whereas it was clear that they really did have. But it was about politics then, you know, people deciding not to go and fight in the Vietnam War. And Timothy Leary was considered, you know, one of the most dangerous men. <laughs> so um, so yeah. we're just picking up really from from there to kind of replicating that research, hopefully more rigorously and to a higher caliber. But but the actual experience is six hours of music on a headphone with eye shades. And it's a very internal wow. experience. So it's very much going in 
with, with an ingestion of, of, of psilocybin. Yeah, psilocybin yeah. capsules. So they have to be standardized so that there's a medical version of that. And we are just there. So the two psychedelic guides, male and a female, or sometimes it can be two females, or, you know, I think that's something that can be explored in who it needs to be. Um, so that, you know, that we facilitate people yeah. of color and um, yeah, all that kind of thing. So it sounds, um, it sounds so fascinating. And, and actually like the kind of thing that I'd probably love to do, um, mm. but, but completely different. I, I only had one psychedelic experience in my life and it was, right. it, it was with mushrooms. Yeah. Um, but I was very young, too young, probably I was 15. Oh, that is quite young. But, but then, in certain tribes, they do initiate, don't they, children in into psychedelics? But it's within, you know, within a culture and within a tribe. So it's a very different. Yeah, it wasn't like that for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was pretty idyllic, though. I went, I, I was in Ireland um, with a school friend, uh, with his family, and they, they, um, they lived near a fairy fort. So we were on a very kind of Celtic, oh, myth very nice. mystical journey. Oh, At which point, he then said. Let's pick some mushrooms to take back to London, yeah. and uh, and we and I think we we picked about a thousand. Um, wow! And then um, then thought we'd sit up on the hill and try some. So we just had I think it was like fifty. They were fresh each, and and nothing happened. And it kept we can't well let's take some more until we'd eaten them all after about. Oh my goodness! Right. Assuming that they were weak and no. Oh yeah. <laughs> and nothing happened. We walked through the sort of magical fairy force and went home. Went to bed. And then within an hour, <laughs> the next 24 hours was. Oh, my goodness. So right. Probably why I never did psychedelics ever again. It was it was wonderful experience, but I do. Was it too much, do you think? Was it overwhelming? <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was so powerful. I sort of yeah. wonder, I have wondered ever since. I'll never know what life might have been like without that i mean you can mm. say that about any experience God. yeah sure but as such for such a young mind um mm. yeah i do wonder if that how much of it has in, in, informed who i became do you know what i mean yeah um, but sure. you must look at all of those sort of what what what's happened do you look at uh, what's happening to people that partake in your trials uh in a as a group as well as individually um yeah i mean there yeah there will be i think a documentary coming out soon following the the story of the trial um mm. but yeah no um so some of the participants from the trial are will be in this connectedness program so i think that it, the pilot trial so in a way it's very fortunate that we're getting to be alongside so i i, I do a facilitation group and meet every bi-weekly with greg actually greg donaldson and we mm. we are going alongside with those people so we're getting to see you know just how much care um how much community will be will really be necessary to help shift you know some people who've been with depression for 10 or 15 years so um yes that that is happening alongside so we're very fortunate in that respect and i think um you know i suppose my fear is that if it becomes highly medicalized will it um, will that care be taken away? You know, like so many kind of, um, yeah, so many interventions or, or whatever happens when things become really commercialized. So I think it's really important if we can is to keep to, to really be conscious of how much care is needed and support, because um, 
I think, yeah, that that's super important. And the connection again, I think, um, which is why, yeah, why I agreed to do this podcast. The timing was, was quite funny. Um, connection. Well, yeah. And let, let me explain a little bit about that, because it was uh, it. This is to do with a, a project, which is an album and a film. And mm. and um, uh, it's how Kate and I met, actually. And um uh, it's it's kind of to do with the the debate between humanity in its natural form and technology and yeah, what okay. what that is doing to connections so it's it's um it's interesting um, talking to you about i mean nature is a huge part of the work you're doing isn't it Yes. Well, in fact, um, the final Rose's Connectedness program is all based around the Celtic tree calendar and, and oh reconnecting, reconnecting with nature is, is a crucial... Ogerman, the Beth Louise moon? Uh, I don't know what that means, but she probably would know. <laughs> but yeah, she's, how yeah, extraordinary! So she's That's... using that as a basis for her workshops to, to take each tree and to go into, into that in, in depth. So, you know, really encouraging um a reconnecting to the natural rhythms as a source of yeah. connection as well and there's I'm been gonna, i'm gonna get up one second <laughs> i'm gonna grab something which is which is um this isn't the original copy but um i just said the celtic tree oracle ah okay That's, that is yeah and all the um all the basically it's a system of divination that druids used yeah um, and all all the all the months each month has a different tree yes tree that uh, it's connected yeah. to but i i've never heard anybody really talk about it lately it's being, it's being used and in fact um one of the facilitators is uh philip cargom who who used to be the head of the druids so he's joined our team yeah which is lovely. and we have two eco psychotherapists oh on the team so yeah it is really using um i suppose thinking about the container it's therapy and it's nature i suppose those are the key elements of yeah. you know trying to help people reconnect to the natural rhythms because like you say we're so divorced from them with with technology so mm -hmm. yeah it sounds like um we're on a similar page but doing different things with it <laughs> yeah and uh, just it, it, it philip cargom is somebody that um he he initiated me into the order oh. um, when I was 13. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I was living in Spain um, uh, on the, near the Costa del Sol with my mum and obsessed with everything Celtic, you know. Oh, okay. Braille, mystery. Like perfect program for you. <laughs> yeah, it does that. And um, But I, I, I joined the Order of Bards, Ovates and Druids at that time and did my courses uh, remotely so it would have been philip that sent the letters oh, the okay. yeah every, every month i used to get these things which i've still got and um yeah that's again a really super synchronous uh mention mm -hmm. and i only rediscovered him since i realized that he was doing sort of facebook um you know team not, the druid, <laughs> yeah. the druid. And i just thought you know, it's one thing in 1988, living in the middle of the mountains in Spain, just not having any connection to the UK. And then suddenly, yeah. wherever you are in the world, you can have tea <laughs> with a druid. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's progress. You know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm. And 
And what's your what's your feeling about connection in the way that we're just talking about, which is well, apart from that synchronicities, but just mm. very organic human mycelic uh, connection, uh, and then the connection that we also know, which is on social media and mm. uh, emails and phones and and apps that keep coming out, which yeah. are trying for our mm. attention. Mm. How do they go? What's do you have a? They're two different things, or are they trying to meet each other? What What do you feel about that? Well, um, well, I suppose I, I feel the social media connection can be useful and interesting, but yeah, it's, it doesn't really beat real life. You know, as an integration or relational therapist, for me, it's all about relationship. It's about real connection, and and for me, a lot of a lot of healing is is you know, I think our wounds are created in relationship, and the way we heal is in relationship. So. Um, you know, I I have had to be doing therapy on Zoom, but it's it's so different to doing it, you know, face to face, being in the room, all that embodiment, all those, you know, micro gestures, all that stuff is lost. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think. Does your work as a therapist become a lot harder than when you're because I know that because in, in the therapy that I've been in and, I've, and that I've read about, it, there's a lot of work that you do by being a few meters away from someone. yeah exactly it, it's very different because people, yeah people are not um they're less connect well they're less connected basically the screen you know sometimes I have to do a body scan to try and get people to drop in and to be to be more connected um with me uh in in the space because you're kind of making up for for all that visceral embodied I don't know, uh, the field, the relational field, I would say, that's not really there so so much through the screen. Um, it's been hard this last year. It has been hard, but I've, um, yeah, I mean, I've, because I've been doing, I've just started working on the DMT trial, so I'm actually seeing people in real life, so that's really been a saving grace for me, so I'm not on Zoom all the time, and I've really appreciated <laughs> going to work and seeing yeah. people in real life and working with them um because yeah i think the propensity for burnout just increases because mm. especially you don't have the transitional time between um meetings you know if you're going from zoom to zoom um mm. none of that just kind of spacing out you know going for a walk arriving somewhere all that all that transitional time is taken away and in in a way we've become a bit more robotic and disconnected ourselves from ourselves you know yeah. um, are very, uh, it's very hard to um, discipline yourself when you're on screen mm. I mean and this is the only reason I'm wearing these by the way because I'm just I'm, I'm screened out of my mind for the last <laughs> couple of weeks um, uh, d- delightfully though because it's it's been talking to people you know and yeah. like, like this but it's but yeah I feel it in the evening and and it, it it, it strikes me that there is a, I mean, I know the work you do isn't necessarily always to do with people that have addiction, mm. um, even though there's a drug that that can be addictive sometimes, I suppose, in, involved in it. Yeah. But, but um, what, you know, what do you think about addiction to, I don't know, Facebook or addiction to mm. Instagram and addiction to... Where people are using it, and obviously there are, it's a reward-based app. A lot, yes. You know, yeah. We all know now was based on the one-armed bandit. Kind of I know. Yeah, it's a bit insidious, isn't it? And uh, not, 
not good because yeah we're it, it's just that reward yeah it is the same as a drug it's addictive and it's not really yeah I suppose what we're looking for is connection and intimacy uh something meaningful and what we're getting is just this shallow likes and ticks that don't really mean anything you know and people get hooked into that feeling really low if they're not getting I don't know 10 likes on their Instagram picture or mm. whatever it is um yeah I think it, it's insidious and you know I, was it the social media documentary I can't remember what it was called <laughs> the documentary social dilemma that's it the social dilemma documentary that was quite a horrifying watch to yeah. you know all the people who designed um you know the Silicon Valley or you know a lot of the social media that they were sort of conscious of, of what they were doing but didn't really think about the implications you know on on us all for for being hooked into social media so does that yeah. come up at all with the people that you're working with who suffer with depression um, um I don't, yeah I don't know whether it's so, so much yeah that's I would say that's more addiction so I it's not something that comes up so much um with with depression i don't think but but you know with depression it is a, a lack of a lack of connection and obviously um covid for people who've been living alone has amplified that so even though people maybe have been through the trial they've come out into a landscape of covid where they've if they live alone um they haven't been able to see people mm. so it's sort of um maybe stopped a lot of the progress in its tracks because whereas you know they've had these experiences that have been opening and making helping them feel more connected then they came into a society you know that's like one big psychedelic experience itself that we're all having to you know go inward and really reflect on what our meanings are mm. um you know and for some people it's been hugely challenging whether that's financially or you know being in a household where people don't actually get on with each other um so it's been been a bit like a dark dark night of the soul i think covid for a lot of us some people have found meaning, but for a lot of people, everything's been thrown up in the air, you know, and, you know, I think some people have come out okay, but a lot of people have really struggled. Yeah, I I, I was thinking about it yesterday and across, not, not to generalise too much, but across the board, it seems like um, COVID or the pandemic um, has consolidated everything. So, you know, where, where families were not in a good place it's really yes found in it um people that were in the midst of i don't know exploring ideas and being creative be, have done more you know mm -hmm. i know yeah. a lot of friends uh, and certainly i have um the government you know that had that much power, power. clap down <laughs> that, they've consolidated power. that it's everyone's sort of scary yeah, it's yeah. does that worry you about uh, in our country anyway? About you know, obviously the work that you're doing is very much about bringing people together and and finding connection and 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 empathy and uh, healing, yeah, and healing in, in groups of people um, and, mm -hmm. and being in a group is something that is rightfully so um, throughout the, the the hardest times of the pandemic, but. You know they've just taken out another six months of powers if they want to stop people getting together. yeah no i mean yeah it is is yeah very disconcerting really and um you know something that we have to be conscious of that you know our desire to to be out of lockdown or to feel less trapped and want more freedom that yeah we we might just 
sit back and not realize what's been passed mm. by, you know, what rules have been passed by. Um, because yeah, to some degree, um, it's it's not looking into what the powers that be are doing that that can get us into trouble before we've signed up to I suppose COVID passports and what the implications of that and how much control are we handing over in order you know we're 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 kind of um, yeah on the back foot really sort of a bit at their mercy so you know I suppose like the the right to protest and how that all went horribly wrong you know that's really important that we have those rights um, for yeah. sure. I, I, and 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 I'm sure many people uh, within the government, um, clearly not the frontliners, but uh, we're, we're also need to protest certain things. <laughs> it's it's yeah. such a weird thing to to take away. Um, but it 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 strikes me that you're working in a in a in a sort of um, in an optimistic. With what you're doing, yeah. I mean, you're looking for a way to heal people that, are yeah. Different. So, um, what, what do you, what is opt optimistic about that, that side of uh, our mm. lives at the moment? Where is the optimism in connecting and being together and understanding each other and having really authentic connections? Yeah. Where's, where's the optimism in? So, well, I, I suppose in the work that I'm doing, one thing about it that is that it is a slight paradigm shift in terms of thinking about healing um, not as, you know, uh, a pill that's prescribed from the doctor where we manage symptoms, but with psychedelics is very much this idea of getting to the root causes of our depression, our anxiety, whatever it is. And in that process, you know, we frame on the DMT trial, the psilocybin trial, that there's this process of accessing your inner healer, you know, that homeostatic inner healing process. So um, for me, um, whether it's traditional therapy or psychedelic assisted therapy, there's something about trying to help people discover their own healing potential. And that that's in the way they live their lives. That is through greater connection. That is through community. Um, and rather than sort of medicating and dealing with symptoms that just make them functional so that they can work in a job that they probably don't really like, it's like helping them to find their spark, you know, what, what, where's their passion, what, what, you know, gets them up in the morning. So it is connecting to oneself to find um, the spark, your passion, so that you, you, you're, you're more connected to others and, and to nature, to the universe. So for me, that the paradigm is is one about really being alive. Um, you know, it, it's like the the um, I suppose the the um, yeah the idea is to to help people live a more fulfilled life, a more meaningful life, one that aligns with their values, helping them to get in touch with their values. You know, and to to live a life that's more in alignment. And that you know maybe slow and steadily means perhaps overhauling what society tells us is important, which is just working in a job to earn money to pay rent. You know, that that narrative is is a bit tired and it's not really serving us. So for me, it's about creating new narratives as well as different ways of healing. So there, yeah, for me, there is a lot of optimism in what we're doing, but, you know, we, we are fighting the mainstream storytellers. <laughs> so we have to yeah. create a more nuanced story, you know, Absolutely. one that's more interesting. Across the board, isn't it? Um, mm. As you were saying uh, that uh, about changing uh, the narrative and 
um, the way we think that we're supposed to live our lives. It, it made me wonder if, I know you've been doing this work for a long time, um, but in the year of 2020 and up until now as well, do you find minds being a bit more open towards, you know, the suggestion of a new narrative yeah. that you're exploring? Mm. Well, I think, you know, taking shops away and, and classic consumerism. That's what people, I meant. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people have woken up to... Yeah um loving being at home with their three-year-old daughter or something mm. they wouldn't have been able to do if they'd been going to work and yeah all kinds of actually there's been more connection online but there's also been more real connection and mm. it's, like i said it's just compounding everything so i just wondered if there's if you'd experience other people kind of being a bit more receptive to new ideas about how we you know heal ourselves yeah well I think working from home and not this whole idea that we have to work nine to five in and of itself is an abomination <laughs> I mean it's like you know do your work do it with a passion enjoy your work you know that I hope there's a way in which you know people can find meaningful purpose that resonates with them but also recognize that the relationships in your life are super important. Those connections are, you know, what help you feel alive, fostering those, maintaining those. And I suppose maybe that there's a middle ground where, you know, we work and we contribute to society, but hopefully doing it in ways that um, align with our values. And, you know, seeing so many people in the, the park, I live near Richmond Park, you know, and thinking, are they all going to go back to the shops? That'd be sad, won't it, if that's what they do, um, because that's what they know and buy stuff they don't need to make them feel yeah. happy, but it doesn't really, um, you know. <laughs> I sort of secretly hope that, it, that, that, that many of us uh, don't go back to any of those normal things in the yeah. same way that if, you, if you're a recovering drug addict and you've managed to get through, you know, a significant long period of time without whatever your drug was mm. and then when you're confronted with it you're kind of like oh gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really doing it for me anymore <laughs> no not don't got other things going on now yeah i sort of hope that that will be the reaction to some of the uh, ways that we've been living in society mm. uh, for so long that's that, that changed and I, I yeah i I, I I feel optimistic about that. I just wonder if do do you have a do you have a, I, I don't know the history of the, of pill taking or I don't know when that started. You mentioned a, a, a few minutes back about you know prescribing medicines all the time for when there's mm. with you and that uh, clearly hasn't been going on forever. That's that's, that's is it a twentieth century? Sort of I assume, yeah, I see. Was it nineteen fifties, sixties? I don't know yeah. when antidepressants were invented but you know I suppose um you know for some people they're incredibly important and and useful but I think it's just the overuse of them has been has been really the problem and then people being um finding it really incredibly difficult to withdraw from antidepressants and the prescriptive that if there's something yeah. the first thing you should do yeah. is find a pill to see if it will yeah and well and that that's a beautiful thing about psychedelics is often people the experience people have um which is really reparative is they recognize that they're not broken and i suppose that there's a very yeah. different narrative is that fundamentally they're not broken and it's that idea that you're broken and you need to be fixed and that here's a pill to do it that i think is a it's a credibly 
incredibly dangerous story, you know, and kind of thinking, oh, I'm not broken. I'm actually fine as I am. But how do I sustain that connection with that belief and that 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 feeling inside me? You know, um, is it fair to say you're you're working towards a future where that might be possible or or it might be uh, an established alternative? Well, I yeah, I suppose that's what I hope. It might be a, an epic battle <laughs> to get there. But yeah, I hope, you know, I hope to contribute a little verse or a little line to that story indeed. Mm. Well, I think it's a really uh, um, a beautiful story and I think it's mm. a really noble uh, task that you've taken mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, we, again, I could talk and listen to everything you're saying forever. I think it's so yeah. fascinating. Uh, and hopefully, some of the people that might watch this and listen to it um, who didn't know about that kind of practice. Um, yeah. Well, check it out. Check One it. thing I should say, actually, before I go, which yeah, I think yeah, I is. Um, that um, my dear friend Rosalind Watts has created the Watts Connectedness Scale, which um, will be used, you know, in, in in trials and studies, which basically is a scale designed to um, rate your level of connectedness, and that's to yourself, to others, and the universe. Um, wow, what is that? Is that a, a, a it's it like thing or no? Yeah, it's an actual scale. So it's like a set of questions that you know you could ask people, say before. A treatment and then after a treatment to see whether they are more connected so it's something that grew out of the psilocybin trial and uh yeah so that will be published soon and that will be something that will be used to measure people's degree of connectedness that is so cool that's mm-hmm. so cool i'll have to send you a, like an early version of the film so you I can do do yes i mean really the film's about disconnection <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. the trauma that um, that people in families go through with all of that, but but I'm really what a great note to end on. There's an actual scale, yeah, <laughs> which has grown out of this work, yes. really. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> like I, well, I yeah, I'll be hassling you much more, I think, <laughs> for more information. About yeah. It. Sure. Well, it's been lovely to to meet you again virtually. Me too. Yeah. Let's hope that we can we can do something for real. Yes. Yeah. This summer when sure. we're all allowed out. <laughs> yeah. As soon as we can get out in the sunshine, uh, I really look forward to meeting you in the same space. Brilliant. Okay, lovely to meet you, Jim. Bye.